and welcome to episode 81 of the Night Gallery Podcast. My name's Chris Brown. Today we're going to be talking about The Girl with the Hungry Eyes. It is the second episode of season three, originally aired on October the 1st, 1972. It's a teleplay by Robert Malcolm Young, based on the short story by Fritz Lieber and directed by John Badham. And to be honest, I think it's fair to say it's the kind of horror film, horror story that is um, for men who are, to be frank, a little bit too scared of women for their own good. Good evening. Let me welcome you to this parlor of paintings. We offer them to you for your enjoyment and edification. Feel free to dwell on them at your leisure and in your own good fashion. But kindly don't touch, because here they frequently touch back. Our number one painting in tonight's exhibit, this intriguing portrait of a young lady, curiously photogenic and hauntingly familiar. Recall seeing this face? You've seen it. On billboards and magazine ads, on television commercials. Oh yes, you've seen it. But there are people who, having seen it, wish they hadn't. Our painting is called The Girl with the Hungry Eyes. And should I have failed to mention it, this is the Night Gallery. Photographer David Faulkner, who's played by James Frentino, is a man who has a new model. And that model is a quite mysterious woman. A woman who appears to have no name. And it's played by Joanna Pettit. And she's a secretive woman, but also incredibly beautiful. But she has something about her. A strength and a power, but a hunger. And... To be fair, it excites Faulkner, but it also scares him. She has such drive and ambition and a, a magnetism to him, to her, almost sexual, well, indeed sexual, and it draws Faulkner into to be obsessed by her, in truth. Um, he sees, um, well... One night after they start their, their love affair, but mainly a love affair using a camera, he sees her talking to his mate, a guy called Harry. And um, Harry, um, he's talking to her, and then, then David finds out the next day that Harry's been killed. He's been killed by, in, in something called a maybe murder. It's called that because the police aren't sure whether deaths have been heart attacks or that there have been something far more serious, the work of some form of very intelligent serial killer. There's somebody else as well, a, a client um, called Munch. Munch is fantastic. Munch is played by John Aston and he's a right old sleaze. Munch is be using the woman for, the girl as they call her, for his... Um, for his advertising campaign for a fruit drink or whatever. And, um, and he, but he wants to meet her. He really wants to meet her. And, and not in a backslapping, you've done a great job for our company kind of way. And um, Faulkner is initially very, very wary of this. But he gets brought around basically through the fact that cash is on the, on the table. Can I get you something? Her. You can get her for me, David Faulkner. I have to see her. I have to know her. Mr. Munch, believe me, if there were any way, I would find one, arrange it, manage, bring about, do, 
cause to be, David Faulkner. Mr. Munch, I tried to explain to you on the phone. You don't seem to understand. I don't know. It's you who don't understand. You've seen her. You've talked to her. Have you touched her? And you know what I mean? It's different with her, isn't it? It isn't sex. It's life. Or death. So we see... Um, well, we see that he follows the girl as she walks through the streets. And then she, he finally sees what she's capable of and what she's doing. The girl meets a man in the street, kisses him, and through that kiss, effectively sucks his life force out of her or whatever, and he dies. She spots David and chases him. He runs back to his flat and his studio and basically says... I understand what you are now. I understand what you're after. And this is the best way to destroy you. He grabs all the photographs and all the negatives. Lights a match. Sets fire to the negatives. And then with that flames. Destroys the monster. It's your survival kit. Your life force. And these. These are what make you tick. Everything you are exists right here on these negatives. It's your seed. Your blood. Your heartbeat. That's right, I'm wise. And I'm gonna kill off the seed that spawned that smile. The eyes of promise and betray. I'm gonna destroy you before you bleed the world process. First thing I'd say is, is everyone alright with this story? Because it really, really f- bugs me. It, I just do not like it. In the past we've spoken about, um, you know, it's dated. The, 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 the series of this episode is 40 years old. And Night Gallery is 40 years old. So with some of the stuff, we've, I've kind of said, well, some of the racial kind of stereotyping. I mean, we're talking way back with Clean Kills and Other Trophies. These days, you wouldn't see it. It's it's off. It's not nice. You know, bloody Indian princes who are, like, loyal as a housekeeper because, you know, they're foreign, effectively. Not pleasant. But this is, like... I mean, this is the 70s. This is, like, you know, we've had the 60s stuff. It's... What, what I'd say is, what is it trying to say? Is it trying to say that attractive women are dangerous? Is it trying to say... I mean, the horror is, she's a beautiful woman. You will become obsessed with her, and it will destroy you. I mean, that is... It's bordering on misogynistic, particularly the way she's portrayed. She hasn't got a name, she's got no backstory, never explains who she is or what she's doing, really. She's just not even a succubus. Because succubuses are like designed to like bring men to the doom for the devil. She, they're demons. She's just like some monster that kills blokes for giggles really was and I mean it's been a long time since I've watched this and I watched it last night and I sat there and I was like ah something about this I don't like you know I'm not feeling this at all and by the end I was like this is really really grimly sexist and I'm sorry if this is one of your favourite episodes and I know the concept of 
of what I'm doing is that occasionally, you know, people drop, drop in and out and just listen to the favourite stories. And that's cool. And I'm really pleased that people are doing it. I'm sorry if I offend you with this, but I was deeply offended by this story. I think I was too young when I was at Foster the first time and didn't understand the undercurrents, but I do now. And it's not something that sits well with me. In truth, I wish Salem had wrote it. Because if Salem had written that script, it would have at least been intelligent. It would have had something to say about modelling, about fashion, about the way men set overly sexualise women for their own gain. Instead, what you have is this idea of these men are allured to her because she's somehow mysterious and she kills you. I mean, it's basic. I mean, at best, you could say it's like, well, it's an old school mermaid tale. The stupidity of men for being dragged into, you know, basically chasing women with the Arja, which kind of kills them. At worst, it's basically saying women are evil and beware female and feminine charms. I've probably moaned too much about that. Um, <laughs> just going off the, off the chart. Interestingly enough, the photographs, these pictures, which make um, Joanna Pettit at this stage, nowhere, uh, who's been in it a few times. She's, you know, since Alan Say came to scale and stuff, I think she appears in four Night Gallery episodes. Um, with her, those pictures, and they are very lovingly taken, and they look, make her look great, were taken by uh, Harry Langdon Jr., who was a famous Hollywood uh, photographer. Pettit was, oh, you know, it, uh, as, as many an artist would be, was made up of this. She says, uh, doing the girl with the hungry eyes was just a total ego trip. I walked into the set and they were there, floor to ceiling. These huge blow-ups of me. I looked out of a window and they literally made a huge billboard out of me. Sipping beer and, ex and erected on a building across the street. It was possibly the best I ever looked in my life. We all go through our periods. The look, you know. It was just perfect. And for the rest of my career, I got to use these incredible shots from Harry Langton. When would I ever have had the chance to get an entire day with somebody like that? And indeed, they are very loving. It's interesting because in the short story, um, Armand Faulkner is quite a seedy hack, like not a nice guy. He's, a, he's an unpleasant character who gets dragged into something he doesn't know. And the exploited becomes the exploiter. Some uh, an underlying idea which sadly does not translate to this 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 story. I feel anyway. Um, the you know, interestingly enough as well, what, well the 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 the, the, te the teleplay that uh, Robert Malcolm Young did kind of built a bit more characterization of characters, which you know I think it's fair to say this, this series does a lot more of that rather than the straight up horror stuff but also um you know builds on the eroticism the sexuality this this kind of brutish force which uh you know sex sells so you can understand why you do that um there is a huge problem with the script though munch our man our seller of things beer isn't it um beer or something it's a fruit juice and it really doesn't matter what he sells i have no i don't really care um, but the seller of this product uh, is, sh I mean, surely the story in screams that he's the victim that Faulkner sees get killed. I mean, it screams that he's such a lech. All he talks about is, is selling stuff, having sex with stuff, remembering this is a clean podcast. 
and um, you know, you do, oh, that's all he does. And and you know, for him not to get any kind of comeuppance, he just kind of appears as an antagonist and then does one. And the reason for that is mind-numbingly annoying. It's because Laird wouldn't pay for another day for Aston to work on set. They wouldn't pay for it, so it didn't happen. Aston's quite an expensive name, so tough doo-doos. Unlucky for you, son. Massively infuriating. I know they were working on tight budgets. I know they want, but I know they wanted to do the best, make the best they could. And indeed, you know, they spent a lot of money on the special effects. The eye effect, which her eyes like glow in a kind of alluring kind of way, of, like come to me. And then obviously the burning of the film, which leads to her negative. It's better than a lot of those um, superimposed visual effects that Night Gallery do. Certainly a lot better than say like um, there's no more McBain's or whatever. Um, it's a lot preferable to that. Um, Interestingly enough, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, the sexualization of women and, and what it is. Pettit um, wanted, unsurprisingly, wanted one of these big, you know, these big massive blow up shots of it that litter the apartment of Faulkner <coughs> for uh, later on. And um, everyone had already had offered them. So imagine Hollywood with these massive pictures, actress adorning the wall, like huge, big, like. 12 footers filling some guys like cheap apartments which is ridiculous but quite funny um i've been really down on this episode i'm not normally that down it's been a while since i've i've kind of been so critical um i think it's very workmanlike and truth and um i don't think it's very scary and i've said exactly what i feel about the sexual politics of the story so yeah what can you say? It's nowhere near as good as it thinks it is. And it's certainly nowhere near as good as you want it to be. It either waits or it ends right now. I can make it without you now, David. Right, so you've got to excuse the voice. Um, I'm coming down with cold. Nothing too serious. I just, uh, I realised that when I, I hope you can understand me clearly, um, when I get a, a little bit coldy, uh, my, uh, I've become more scouse. <laughs> so I get like lots of, I'm quite nasally and stuff, which I know a lot of people don't like. Um, you want to get hold of me, you can too. It's Chris at thetwilightzonenetwork.com. Go to our website, www.thetwilightzonenetwork.com. There's new stuff on there. There's a link to a podcast that I recorded a while ago now uh, for a website called Double Negative, in which I discuss my favourite films. If that's something you're interested in, if you're curious, Go to the website, click on the link, have a listen. You can only listen to it online, as it were, on uh, through a desktop, uh, which is frustrating, but, you know, hey, that's how they do it. And you can uh, email me. Well, you've emailed me, chris.com. I've said that already. You can get me on my uh, my private Twitter, though, which is at orange underscore monkey. Lots of people have been very nice recently, which is really great. Uh, and a hello to Amy Sloan. I don't know if you're going to be listening to this, uh, you got into it because you downloaded one of your favourite episodes uh, and then you showed me a little picture of your cat who looks remarkably like the two I've got. And uh, anyone who owns Cats and Likes Night Gallery is alright in my book, so you're alright, Amy Sloan. Thank you for getting hold of me. Uh, next week, we are dealing with our first Rod Serling story of the season. Thank God. Uh, it's called Rare Objects. It's not his best, but it, it's 
very entertaining, it's quite clever, it's quite fun. And it includes a fantastic performance by Ricky Rooney, which, which is enough on its own to warrant me saying, listen to next week. Until then, take care and I will speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye.